From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweaving. Welcome to episode number one of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. In this episode, we shine a light on how women in Chile used art to survive and resist dictatorship. It's a story of creativity, collaboration, and courage with important lessons for our lives in 2019. Thanks for joining us. The Richard F. Brush Art Gallery at St. Lawrence University is currently hosting a unique exhibition titled Sewn in Protest, Chilean Arpilleras from the 1970s and 80s. It's part of a larger public scholarship project called Forging Memory, Chilean Art and Politics, a collaboration of faculty, students, and communities in the United States and Chile. The Arpilleras exhibition was initially hosted at the Gibson Gallery at SUNY Potsdam, and it has now made its way to St. Lawrence University. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by one of the people at the center of this exciting project, Dr. Liliana Trevisan. Born in Chile, Dr. Trevisan lived through the 1973 military coup that brought General Augusto Pinochet to power. She also participated in some of the first protests against the dictatorship and continued working as a teacher and community organizer before moving to the United States to pursue her graduate studies. She's currently a modern languages professor at SUNY Potsdam, where she also teaches women's and gender studies courses. And she's taught there since 1992. Liliana Trevisan, welcome to Interweaving. Thank you very much for having me here. I wanted to begin by asking you about these remarkable artifacts that are at the center of the Sonen protest exhibition. What is an arpillera? An arpillera is a piece of burlap that has been stitched with a scenery of some kind. Arpilleras used to be a traditional form that some artists in Chile did, but it was taken as a form of denouncing the uh, violations of human rights, in particular at the beginning by mothers of the disappeared that started gathering uh, at the Vicaria de la Solidaridad, a place that the Catholic Church have for people that have been persecuted in any kind during, at that time, and that they provided basically uh, legal services. So it's at the time when they were not, not even the, co the notion of uh, lawyers for human rights didn't exist at the time. It was just the notion of finding a way to help them through the legal system to uh, those mothers that were looking for their children, mothers mostly, but also some wife or, you know, family. And they gathered there and they formed an association uh, basically to receive legal help. But they would go there just to meet and then find new ways of uh, maybe placing and having a corpus, you know, on those kind of things. And they became you know, they knew, they met and knew each other, you know, they start meeting regularly, and the Vicaria offered them these workshops. Workshops that basically at the moment, at the beginning, serve as a therapy, you know, those women that were very traumatized, and uh, so they will tell their story in those tapestry, basically. 
And so at the beginning, uh, the, one of the first ones that they did was a huge one made up of small pieces. So they would tell the story of how a disappear would be. So I remember that the first, uh, the first patch would have a big telephone. You know, because they wanted to tell that the, the first when they heard somebody called them I said, and said, we saw that they took your kid or they took your wife or, you know. Uh, so the telephone had this big importance, so they wanted to tell the story. And then you have stories where they have, you know, basically um, trying to denounce everything that was not in the newspapers. All of this was, you know, everything that was going on in the country at the time, people, most people did not know unless you were directly affected. People did not know. And the, and the military regime spent a lot of time and money and resources and disguising all the repression they did. The press at the time was, uh, the press that, that survived was very, very complicit. Yeah, so they, they really did television and big solid newspaper companies, you know, were completely, they, they sold their soul to the military in a way that was terrible. And on the other hand, it took as many years, a decade or so, a decade, I would say, till, uh, you know, um, no, journalists that were democratic were able to create new new magazines, new, new newspapers, and, uh, and some of them, you know, gave their life to do those things. And then there are some really martyrs that were journalists at the time. And it sounds um, like the Arpilleras might have played a a kind of journalistic role as well, right, yeah. as a so form that's of... The announcers, the yeah, announce what was going on and they tell the stories that were all being silenced, you know. With time, there were so many women that then what the Catholic Church did was to reproduce what they had done at the local levels and parishes and not only in the cathedral in central Santiago, you know, but everywhere. So those workshops of arpilleras, then when they moved to places that were uh, poor neighborhoods, for example, uh, they changed to something that would tell the story, but also those women wanted to sell them because they needed the money. And then they realized that maybe they didn't want to make all of them that uh, politically involved or something so they could sell, so people would buy them, you know, without being afraid of, of repression. Uh, so then they start uh, telling other stories, like their daily life or things they do. On the other hand, if you do look at them, most of them still have, there is always, even if they are telling a, a spring day story that is all happy, there is something there that you can always see. I mean, they think they kept that notion of the nouns and uh, many, you know, the unemployment was huge at the time. Many of those women that have, for the first time, started working also. Because unemployment was big, so then they would, women would find jobs when men didn't, you know? Nemial jobs, but they would get out of the house before they used to be like housewives, you know? A very more traditional um, household. And it changed, it changed during those years, you know, in a way. So this also was a way, I would say, the, the workshops for, for arpilleras uh, 
sort of um, empower women also. They also told other stories of survival there. You can see, you know, how they do this more cooperatives to buy in bulk and those kind of things. Or to, so you can see, if you watch the Arpigerian, there are many that are like about this kind of things that they are doing together, like it was called Comprando Juntos, buying together in bulk, you know, and then they were, uh, or, or the one that they made uh, bread. So they make this uh, ovens, you know, uh, stone ovens, very beautiful bread out of that, but they would mm-hmm. make those and sell them, you know, or buy everything in bulk and then produce that and then you see in their pilleras that people, women walking with those bags that I know that are bread bags and Chile is a very bread eating <laughs> and people buy there twice a day, their bread twice a day, you know, because if it's not warm, it's not fresh enough. So there is that tradition of bread, and so they made bread together. And I'm remembering that in, in the remarks that you gave at the opening of the original exhibition at mm-hmm. SUNY Potsdam, you emphasized the fact that there were women from different social classes who collaborated in the, in the workshops to make these arpilleras. Could you say a bit more about why that's important? So, so I, I think that it maybe it was both psychologists and lawyers perhaps at the beginning that starts sort of working for the vicaria, you know. On the other hand, at the same time, um, professionals, women, professional women over there is the moment of the first maybe feminist groups or feminist organizations and it's the very beginning of a, of a feminist movement over there. So I'm trying to make the distinction between women's movement and feminist movement. The reality was that little by little, women's movement was pretty strong in the country. I mean, and from 1980, I would say. So many women that were professional, either, uh, either because they work in the, with the Vicaria or because they were doing political work, they would go and work with their pilleras and with other kind of organizations also, women in, in, the, in the neighborhoods and the barrios, you know. Why was this important? Is that, to me, it's, it's um, part of the most important lessons in my life, I think, mm-hmm. you know, very personal, in the sense that, um, unlike me, many others, so my friends or, or, or other people that I know, we would go sort of uh, thinking that we were going to teach something, you know. Uh, perhaps, you know, the psychologist is easy to say. But we would also go sort of uh, how to teach, you know. I would do workshops on pedagogy or, or workshops about um, feminists were doing uh, self-consciousness, uh, racing and all those things. And uh, the reality is that we got there, I would say, prefer, put myself among those professionals. And we were trying to do also, you know, politics and movement and, and organizations, you know. But not only that those women have been through a lot and they have the strength that none of us have, you know, but also they, they knew how, they knew how to organize and they knew to look at the long-range planning for things, for example. And they, we learned so much, you know, and the country has been a very divided country, socially in particular, you know. 
more than ideological conversations or political conversations. It was all about doing what we do, you know? So it taught us about strategies and politics, strategies on how, how you connect with others, how you work with those that are, you know, what are the, the important things that we all work together, you know? So if we had to go and work with somebody that maybe didn't think the same way that we think, but we were going to do something that we needed to do, and it was necessary to make connections so that group of people could do other things that we had no access. All those kind of political important uh, real life lessons, you know what I mean? They, because they have been trying to get things, you know, like they had been trying to survive, not only the military, but also trying to sort of find a way in the legal system, you know, all of that. So they knew how important that was. Um, in the mid 80s, the big slogan of the country, the whole country, became democracy in the country and at home. And that I think that synthesized the process, the notion that that over there, that we were really uh, more thinking about the big questions. And then we learned, you know, for example, about domestic violence there, working with those women. And, where, and when those women were brave to start talking about domestic violence, then some of the professional, maybe preppy women that were there start talking about domestic violence in their houses. And so that moment, for example, is, you know, and then you can share a table in the same, you know, then you are equals in that, in that situation, you know. So we start doing some sort of trying to put together a shelter, for example, for domestic violence and things like that. And, uh, and that notion, you know, that what happened to your kids or, you know, the, the possibility of education and all those day-to-day uh, -day important things, you know. Uh, sort of put your, your big political discourses uh, to a test, you know, in a way. And then I would say the contribution of women to create spaces for dialogue were tremendous. Tremendous. And because because so then, then it was a practice, you know, a practice of people crossing social class. And those were women. Men were not doing that. There were no spaces where men were doing that, you know? You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Contributions from readers and listeners play a central role in helping us continue and expand our grassroots media-making efforts. If you'd like to support our work, just visit weavenews.org donate. Now, back to the show. After discussing women's initial efforts to build bridges across the lines of social class, Dr. Trevisan talked about how they were able to help set in motion a broader process of political transformation in a society that was deeply divided. People didn't trust each other. Politicians didn't trust each other because at the time of the coup, the center, political center, had supported the coup. And so really, you think about what, what opened the possibility for the end of the, of the military regime was the fact that all those years that it took for that center, <laughs> after being an ally with the right, 
move and be an, uh, it's a way of rhythm, but it's very accurate, I would say, to be able to move that center to now create that coalition that is the one that is a center-left coalition, the one that ends with the military, no, no? Mm -hmm. and, and that, I can tell you moments when I saw those things happening, you know? I'm, I'm talking about a big forum, for example, a panel that was organized. It's not with, exactly with arpilleras, but with women that were teachers, a big association of teachers that we built in certain regions of, of um, no, not Santiago either, but uh, close to San Valparaiso, a big port. Maybe, I don't know, 2,000 teachers, you know, organizing something for a weekend, you know. And a group of us invited a communist that had been a subsecretary in the Times of Allende, and a Christian Democrat for a panel in a huge, uh, in a school place that we got. This uh, Christian Democrat guy that was high in the, in the party, in the Christian Democrat party, uh, in the middle of the conversation about, uh, it's a conversation about education, you know, education and public schools and blah, blah. And uh, in the middle of the, the panel, uh, the guy started crying and ask forgiveness and say how sorry he was, how he never thought that things were going to go that way. And it's not that that make the military change anything, but those kind of moments were most of the time created by, by women and by the interaction that we all have, that we always, I mean, there is a moment, there is another moment I can tell you when Women organized the first, in Santiago, the first ever only women demonstration. It was in a big uh, stadium for boxing. Is that stadium? Or an arena. Or an arena. Mm -hmm. an, a big arena. Mm -hmm. um, so how many people in an arena? Lots of people. Thousands. You know? I don't... I, I, I mean, the numbers. Uh, but a big number. Only women that day. And uh, we really fill up that arena in the, close to downtown Santiago. We got permission to do it. And the, the police is still there, the, the special forces all surrounding the place. It was very scary to go in, but we fill up the place. But the important part what I wanna say is that, when I say we, I'm talking about maybe 20 women or less, you know, that organized that. Took months to organize it. And the point was that it was two, that, that at, around the table was one or two people from each political party. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we said there were no obvious speeches, no political speeches. So then, then the mothers of the disappeared were the first one there. And then we have artists and no political speeches. And we organized this thing all, balancing, even the artists we know that this was recognized and will be symbolic for these people and then this other will be symbolic for this other and we measured the um, amount of minutes that everybody would speak so nothing, nobody will feel that they've been privileged or, or that, you know, so that kind of thing, you know, and we did many of those things, I mean the most and, and what I'm talking about is at the moment where is 
right before the big protest that people started doing protests. So, so those things sort of led the way for public demonstrations that were that big. And, uh, I have to ask, this work must be incredibly meaningful for you personally. I'm wondering how it feels to have these arpilleras displayed here in the North Country. It's amazing. It's sort of a way of uh, maybe some circle closing or something in my in our personal life. I have one arpillera at home and one in my office that I keep because I have been teaching the arpilleras and at least once a year when I teach my Latin American studies class, I, I do my unit in arpilleras and I go with my arpillera to the class all these years, you know. So all my students know I touch an arpillera because I I allow them to touch, and sometimes my students have uh, learned how to sort of emulate what the mothers have done there. Most of the time I teach with the mothers of Argentina also, so I try to weave those two stories. And uh, the truth is when, when MJ, my colleague, MJ Hasek, who is the one that had their pilleras, and that's why we have the exhibition here, when she said, I have some arpilleras and I want you to tell me more about what they are or their stories. And I said, yeah, yeah. I thought she had a couple of arpilleras. I never saw that one day when she said, yeah, really, I want you to now do this. She comes up with a 50 arpilleras. So I never thought she had 50, you know, that was very surprising to me. And so we start, that's how the project started when she's, you know, I see those arpilleras and we say, well, I start talking about one of them and we say, this is not what you want me to do, to tell you each of the stories <laughs> that I can see in the arpilleras. And that's how the, the project starts, you know. Especially it's uh, powerful, it makes me feel more that I, I have lived in this community for this many years. It's like perhaps some people for the first time see us who we are, in a way, you know, that that's so much part of our story. And I have to ask also, just to bring things out to the bigger picture a little bit and also up to the present, there are many people who have argued, of course, that we're living right now through a, a period of rising authoritarianism globally. Are we at risk of suffering the effects of historical amnesia? I'm wondering where memory work sort of fits today into struggles for human rights. Looking at Chile today, Chile has just elected for the second time a conservative right-wing president. After having the most beautiful woman in my view being a socialist uh, president, and how does happen? How does it go that way? And how People get into this um, consumerism, consumerism that it was never in Chile, you know. But now it's, uh, it's not that not only that everybody has a cell phone or two or three or the iPad number eight or something, but uh, middle class everybody now needs to have two cars and all of that. And as how you put that together with the notion of a, a stable democracy? I don't know. I don't know. I have no theories about it. I just have the, the big... Um, I think that is something that in Chile, I can say, is important, is the fact that there are certain elements of memory work that have caused a level of awareness 
a level of understanding of what civil discourse is or what democracy is and the fragility of it and the need to work on it. I think that in Chile there is awareness on that. This, even this last uh, president that is so conservative, for example, he nevertheless had to, a couple of times in the very uh, pivotal moments, I think, he had to talk about we are not Pinochet, we are never supported that, we we will never, for us, human rights is most important, you know. Not only that he, in his previous government, he went and visited the Museo de la Memoria, Museo of Memory and Human Rights, and uh, saying, okay, this is our history. And, but very recently, he had to fire one of his minister of culture when he made a negative comment about the, the Museum of Memory and Human Rights with such the pressure that he had to politically do it, you know? And you see that all the right-wing parties now have to build a discourse that separates them from violation of human rights and, and equate, I would say, it's a discourse that equates democracy with human rights. And I would say pluralism, you know? So those things, I think, at least are there. Do I say that everywhere? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's scary how people don't see how rapidly democracy can deteriorate and disappear. I mean, I saw, saw it with my own eyes how to learn hate somebody, uh, it dehumanizes it, you know, and then if you create a whole sort of people that are not like you, and then it's easy to say, okay, they deserve this, they deserve to be what? To be put in jail, to be to disappear, to what? Once again, the, the sewn-in protest exhibition of Chilean arpilleras from the 1970s and 80s is currently on display at the Brush Art Gallery on the St. Lawrence University campus until April 11th. And these arpilleras, I think we've learned, are important historical artifacts. They're also artifacts of memory. They're works of art. And they're tremendous examples of grassroots citizen journalism as well. Mm. Liliana Trevisan, thank you so much for speaking with us today on Interweaving. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me here and have the interest in talking about this. It is important. Please visit, visit the exhibition there. It's a connection, you know, people here in the North Country that are a lot of quilting, and I think they all feel some connections there with those. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you can't make it to the exhibition in person, you can see examples of the Chilean arpilleras as well as other related multimedia materials at forgingmemory.org, home of the Forging Memory Public Scholarship Project. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Bee Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support us or join us in our work. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving. <laughs>